excited. This is actually the first episode of How I Got Backstage. We're recording live in like a year. Well, I'm, I'm honored and excited. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm glad to be back at it. And I'm glad that like we have the ability to do this now because COVID kind of messed us up and it took a while to figure out like, how do you do this? Not in the same room and and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I want to welcome Beverly Keel. She is currently the Dean of the college of media and entertainment at middle Tennessee state university, MTSU, Cassie and I's alma mater. Go Raiders go. (laughs) So Beverly, you were a professor when we were at MTSU, but I never had a class with you. Did you Cassie? I don't think I did actually. I mean, I sat in a lot of panels that you spoke on and things like that, but I don't have a class. I started full time in 1995. So I've now been teaching longer than our, my students have been alive. Wow. Oh no. Before that. So when I first started teaching music publicity, my notes would say, if it's very important, if it's breaking news, fax the press release. That's how long I've been teaching the class. Now, can you explain to the people listening what facts is? Facts is. <laughs> oh, I remember. I remember. Probably don't remember. Came out, you couldn't believe. It's like you mean I can just send the paper from here to there? It was crazy. I love this scene in Almost Famous where they're talking about like faxing the article, and they're like, "You can do a page every forty-seven hours, or like something like that." <laughs> so when funny. I was a reporter starting out. Uh, if we were on location at deadline, we would call in our stories word for word over the phone. And, and you always ha- hated having to take, you never wanted to be in the newsroom answering the phone because it was painful and you'd have to go, you know, period, new paragraph. Wow. That sounds daunting. And it's also kind of now how we talk to Siri, you know? Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> Period. Uh, Question mark. Away <laughs> in a relatively short time. Yeah. So you obviously have this, you know, career as an award-winning journalist, and then you went into teaching, and now you're the dean of a college. Like these are things that most people don't accomplish in a lifetime. You know, it's interesting because the the dean position really utilizes all the skills I've acquired through my other careers, if you will. I've always had sort of two separate careers. I had an academic career and a journalism slash music industry career. And fortunately, much of the Dean's job relies on the skills that I've I've learned along the way. So uh, I love it. I started January 2nd, 2020, and two months later, the pandemic hit. So I don't even know what a normal year for a Dean would be like yet. Oh, that's so, we, so interesting. Yeah, we shifted all remote, you know, in March. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just been this altered reality since, but the students are hanging in there. Our professors are putting in extra hours to make sure everything's going well. So, uh, so far, so good. Knock on wood. Amazing. Um, so I just kind of want to get into MTSU, the program that you guys have. I mean, honestly, Cassie and I talk about this program a lot, but we talk about it from the perspective of graduating in 2006 and 2007, which is probably quite outdated at this point. So I kind of want to ask you some questions about how things run now, because I feel like, you know, obviously those experiences are still, you know, valid to, to a point, but I want to, I want to know how like the systems are in place. I want to know this candidacy still exists. How does that work? What, what did the programs look like? I mean, I know that I was walking in the building one day and it just looks so different. Like they have these studios that are like in the main hallway and you can like 
see through this glass and watch the studios. Like I never knew where these studios were when I was a student. Like it looks a lot more high tech. Well, we have the Center for Innovation in Media, and that has a student-run radio station, TV station, sidelines, our school newspaper, and the student-run record label, Match Records. It also has the professional NPR-affiliated WMOT. And uh, we have all kinds of great Americana artists on campus to come to WMOT, and while they're there, uh, we speak to a class. So it's really cool, but yeah, um, I always get excited when I see Webb Wilder parked in his spot. Um, and Alison Moore, the Oscar-nominated, Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, author, is teaching a class for us this semester, a songwriting class on, on creativity. So oh, wow. We have, yeah, we got a lot of great things going on. That's amazing. So yeah. going back to the system, because we talk about this a lot, is candidacy still a part of the program? It is. And we have that... Um, candidacy involves your the core classes that you take your um, survey of the recording industry, history of the recording industry. We want you to get your foundation before you move on to your upper level classes. We wanna make sure that you have the, um, the basics and that you have your foundation before you move on. So on the audio production side, we have uh, reconfigured some things. So you now get in the studio a little earlier. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So what are, cause I get a lot of questions about this from young kids that are like, oh, I, I, what is MTSU? I wanna go there. What is what is that process involved now at this point applying for candidacy? Just those four classes? Right. You're you're told you have to have these specific classes, you have to have a certain number of hours. If you if you sort of clear the bar, we let you you get candidacy. And all candidacy means is you can take all your upper level class. You just go on from there and take yeah. all your junior and senior classes. And, um, uh, you know, I, I remind our students when they're taking what we call our general studies classes, don't just think of those as oh, I just got to get through them because you need to know that stuff if you're going to be in the entertainment industry because you have to react to changes in American history and culture and you need to know literature and you need to know the history so you know what's come before so you can know what's happened. And and even if you look at our great uh, songwriters, they, they're uh, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, they're well steeped in literature. So um you know, if you work in the music business, you've got to know what's going on in the world, in the business world, totally. in culture. Uh, you can't operate in a vacuum. Totally. Um, I think what Cassie's going to ask is, is it still competitive? Yeah, I remember it was super competitive to get yeah. candidacy. And so I'm just wondering how that's evolved over well, the years. We have a, um, a guaranteed admission. So if you achieve a certain grade in that candidacy formula, you're guaranteed a seat. Okay. I'm very happy yeah. to hear that. Very yeah, happy. Yeah. I, I didn't get candidacy and I had yeah. all A's and B's. I got cut off. However, I applied and I got everyone in Nashville that I had ever volunteered for their band to write a letter and I got in, but it was hard. It was hard. And, and you know, we have an appeal process. So um, maybe if you're not great at, at schoolwork, but you have an amazing talent mm -hmm. and you can, you know, prove that you can, there is the appeals process. Yeah. So the appeals process. I'm all about the appeals process. <laughs> I remember doing that paperwork. I was like, I have tried too hard to get here <laughs> to not continue with this. So that's yeah, great. I love the, that guaranteed uh, kind yeah. of setup. I think that's amazing. When you get to college, you can't phone it in. It's, you know, a lot of people in oh, yeah. high school and they don't study. They never learned how to write a, a, a paper that's grammatically correct. And you have to, you have to study. You can't just 
you know, look at your book the night before. You've got to really study and know your stuff. Oh, yeah. You got to know know your stuff. Are very serious about the music business. They are working on their careers while they're in school, like you all did. Uh, We have a student that just released a new video today, Jaylee Roberts. She's already been on the Grand Ole Opry. We have, um, we had a, a, a student group named Maybe April who met at a Grammy camp and uh, between their junior and senior year, they planned a tour on through the, to the West coast by themselves. And they uh, recorded a record billboard wrote about them while they were still in school. We had another student, Donovan, who goes by the name Langston blue, uh, who had, you know, a song out on Spotify and he went to South by Southwest and Bob wrote about him. And so uh, our students are very serious about, their careers and your careers start when you step on campus, not when you graduate. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I love that quote actually, because I feel like that's something that we're always preaching to the kid, you know, like, um, I think my new thing that I say all the time is, Oh, you want to be a manager? Well, there's thousands of artists outside my door. Go manage one of them. Right. You know, which, which I just, I think like living in Nashville, there are just so many opportunities to dive into music and say, Hey, I want to sell your merch. I want to be your booking agent. I want to be your manager. Like nobody starting out has help. So they're going to take all right, the help right, they can right. get. Um, so I think there's a lot of experience kind of, you know, out there that people just kind of need to go grasp. Something else I want to touch on. I feel like you are just so good at mentoring young women. Oh, thank you. Um, I just, I meet so many women that will, like they talk about you the same way in that like, oh, we have this very close relationship and it sounds almost like it's exclusive. Like, oh, you know, I'm the one student that like, ha- but everyone says it. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I, which is I had great mentors. Uh, and I, st- I feel like I'm not as great a mentor as my mentors are. Ruth Ann Harnish has been a mentor since I was 18. And she has, uh, you know, plucked me from the depths of despair and guided me through everything. And that's the best part of teaching. I mean, every year I love my job at MTSU more. And um, it is such an honor to be able to help someone's dreams come true. And, uh, you know, I wish I could just tell everybody, you know, how to prevent stepping in the potholes along the way. But the, the main things I tell people is that your 20s are horrible because everybody tells you your 20s are the best time of your life. And it's absolutely not true. Your 20s are horrible. You don't have any money. You're not doing what you want to do. You're kind of adult, but not really. Your parents still have a say in your life. You feel like everybody's making money but you and nobody in their 20s is making money. That's what I wish somebody had told me when I was in my 20s, because I had this I was like, oh, you know, I'm such a loser. Everybody else is making all this money. Uh, And they weren't. So, you know, your 20s are hard. And it helps if somebody tells you that. And also, no one knows what they're doing. So if you act like you know what you're doing, people will think you do. And everybody is so insecure that they're not focused on what you're doing. You know, if they they walk into an industry event, they're thinking, oh, gosh, I shouldn't have worn this today. How does my hair look? I hope I see somebody I know. What am I going to do if I don't know anybody there? Oh, you know, there's somebody I think a lot of. Oh, I hope I didn't sound stupid to them. So let go of what people think of you because they're not thinking of you. They're too worried about their own issues. I love all of that. Like, I just just want to, like, I wish I would, I want to like print that on like a motivational, you know, because it's it's true. And and I'm like, oh my God, what are they going to ask me? I don't know. 
You know, what if Jade asked me something I don't know? I, you know, why are you asking me? That's like when I moved into management, people would come in and say, well, I have this problem. And I think, well, why are you asking me? But I would just sound like I knew what I was talking about. And they thought I knew what I was talking about. I, I, I think that all the time when people ask me questions, right? I'm like, you know. can look at it. You could answer them and it would be just as accurate as me. And you go, well, what, what do you think you should be, do about it? Well, that sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love this. I just, I feel like I'm just really like in taking a lot of this and like, it's like, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just nice. It's nice. And yeah. I think again, too, like, I feel like I'm usually talking to people that are younger than me and giving right. them all this advice. So it's nice sometimes just to like, I, this is, you know what it is? I haven't been out with a colleague right. in a year. So right. I think my whole life is just talking to people that are younger than me. And I forgot that I'm an adult. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is you don't feel older. So the same way you feel at 22 is the same way mostly you'll feel at 32 and 42 and 52. You have the same insecurities. You have the same likes and dislikes. Hopefully you will, I mean, you you slowly evolve. So you don't notice the changes. You know, like all of a sudden you'll realize, oh, I don't go out like I used to. Oh, I don't, you know, but inside I'm the same person. It's my friends from high school. They're like, you're the same idiot you were in high school. So that doesn't change. I, agree. I totally agree. Yeah. I, it's not, and it's nice to like know that in retrospect, yeah. you know, because you, because I don't know, it's, it's kind of scary to like grow up and change, oh, but when you realize right? like you literally still feel like the same person, like I feel like a question me and Cassie get a lot is like, how do you feel that you've done this and this and been successful? And I'm like, I, I don't oh. feel, <laughs> I feel, I'm like, yeah, it's like you have moments where you, you, you know, you achieve goals, right. but like overall, I still say like, I generally feel like a kid trying to make things happen. Yeah. You know, I just, I feel like that. Cassie, how do you feel? Yeah. I mean, I always, I kind of feel the same. I feel like I haven't accomplished any more than I did when I was 18. I feel like I have some of the same anxieties, insecurities, um, same challenges and I feel uh, even even though as I've gotten old because I kind of came into the music business where I always was the youngest person in the room which I guess that's how people come into the music business and I still always feel like the baby and the young person a lot of times even when I'm not anymore and I think sometimes I have to remind myself like no like you're an adult you're like the average age person in this room now and you have to you know you, you don't it isn't you're not the youngest person in the room anymore and that that's okay but be nice to the youngest person in the room now right right yeah. But it's funny because Cassie says that, but I've always had this thing in my head where when I think I'm doing good at life, I realize Cassie's five years younger than me oh, and therefore yeah. ahead of me. <laughs> I, used to, uh, I would get the New York Times Sunday newspaper and, and look at the the engagement announcements. Yeah. And I wasn't like, I didn't want to get married, but I would compare my level of success to the, the people because it would give them a little bite. So-and-so is the analyst at Merrill Lynch and... And I would be like, oh, I'm such a loser. Or, oh, okay. Like, that's not healthy. Oh, no, it's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. This is you why know? we go to therapy. But like most girls would, would, we're looking at the engagements, like dreaming one day I'll be in there. And I'm looking at it as a career driver. So that, Hey, I back that. I yeah. totally back that. I totally well, back that. Yeah, well, I I don't know. Like, I, you know, I used to always be about like getting on lists and they're like really big goals of mine. But this year when... And I'm not even under 30. I can't even be on Forbes 30 under 30. I've already been on Forbes 30 under 30. But like 
I realized how painful that day is for a lot of people. Right. Um, like it's great. It's amazing for the 600 people total in the world that get it, but it makes a lot of people feel like crap. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people that I know that are like actually sometimes smarter or more accomplished right. than some of the people that make the list. It is so political sometimes. And, and they're just people compiling a list. So yeah, give it, merit because you know what maybe they put their friends on the list or maybe they don't know about you or maybe you know but we are gov you know we are governed by those things yeah just uh and then when you make those lists you're terrified that people are going to find out that you're not all you're cracked up to be yeah that too yeah. and and um i just i that day like i posted something on i forget it was like one of those instagram pages like boss babe or something i made a comment and it got like a ton of traction on the post about how like you know everyone was kind of like saying how you know how it makes them feel down or sad or whatever and I said Aww. listen I'm I was on it and I still get sad because somebody made it in an earlier age than me or oh. somebody made it instead of a friend and I had so many people DM me and got into some really good conversations about it and you know, I, and it was a lot of women that were like around the age of 40. And like, they, it, the, I was like, wow, that, you know, I, I just didn't realize how this makes people feel and just made me kind of yeah. think yeah. about that sort of stuff. And those who didn't way. make the list. Yeah. 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 Or never made a list or they're 40 right. and they don't know if they're trying to change careers or they're looking for a job or they're unemployed. Like it just, I, I realized it made more people feel bad than it makes people feel good. Right. Right. Yeah. And also it's editorial. It's not Right. It's just, it's a on, one person or a group's opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So also I want to talk about, I love this thing you did last year and I'm assuming you're maybe still doing it, but you feature a woman each day on your Facebook page. Like not only do you do that, but now I've seen other people start to do it as well. And I mean, every day, you guys, I don't, and I don't mean like, Oh, here's Cassie. This is her job title. It would be like, here is the entire history of her life. All the reasons she's like the research is done. It gives me like, like anxiety thinking that I would have to do that much work, but you do it out of joy of, of celebrating these women. And I think it's amazing. Well, I started thinking about uh, some women that I really admire. One was Stephanie Wright, who is an A&R at Universal Music Group. And I thought, she doesn't know how amazing she is. I need to write her an email and let her know how much I admire her. And that somehow morphed into, well, I should I should do it online. And then I and then I thought, I'm going to celebrate a woman every day in 2020. So I started in January. In fact, I saw Ken Paulson, who was the former dean. I re, I replaced him, and he was like, "Ooh, I'm not sure you should have done that, taken on a new job." But when the pandemic hit, it became a source of inspiration for me. So it was often the, the highlight of my day. Now, I will tell you, in June, you know, I had a hard time doing it some days, but I never missed a day. I did it all year long. Uh, and I will tell you something else. All of the information, except what I wrote about my personal encounters, came from online. So that's how much about you is online. I got all the work history from LinkedIn. I would do a Google search and that sort of thing. But um, I really did it because I just wanted to express my admiration for these women. I didn't think about what it would mean to them. And the best part was all their friends would go on and post comments about what the woman meant to them. And that was just 
and then as we say, it was a God thing because so many women said to me, you don't know how much I needed it on that day. I mean, women who were CEOs of multi-million dollar companies to teachers, to people who don't work. And then um, it turned out to be really special because in November, my sister died. And a, a day or two after that, unbeknownst to me, all these people decided to write a tribute to me when I needed it most. So I opened up Facebook and there were all these tributes to me. So I wanted to keep it going. So I asked the women that I honored last year to write it this year. So they are writing tributes. Tamara Saviano is writing tributes the entire month of February. Some people are taking two days or a week. Some are taking a month. But I just love that it's that it's going on and on. And, and uh, you know, we don't tell people enough how much we admire them or how great they, they are. And um, we certainly don't put it in writing. Like one woman said, my mother got to read this before she died. So um, it, it was it was one of the greatest projects I've ever been involved in. I mean, it was incredible. And on top of it, like for me, I was I read most of them yeah. and it was just great. It was like a great education piece. And just to read these like not just education, but like, I don't know, it just made you feel good. You know, it made you feel good. It made you realize that like you're not the only one working so hard and and everyone's out there doing this and I don't know it was just great to read every day and anyone over 30 has had ups and downs and you learn the ups don't last forever and the downs don't last forever and everybody has struggles and you look at these people that you think you think everybody has a better life than you you think everybody's had it easier than you and you learn no and and that but they just kept going right? They showed up day after day after day. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, what a, what a great project. I want somebody to do an, an article about like a news article about that. I want Oprah to talk about this. <laughs> it, it was, uh, I mean, it had, I, it just was such an inspiration to me. And so every night I would research these women and write them and, you know, writing about them, I would think about them and which made me feel good. That's amazing. So it really was, it really was a blessing during the pandemic. Also something else you do, which, which I appreciate so much is you're always just, you just give credit where it's due and you're always featuring MTSU grads and MTSU students. And I just, I couldn't imagine when I was there, like somebody doing that for me, you know, it would have felt just crazy to me, but like you do it all the time. And it just, I don't know, it kind of like normalizes the whole process if that makes any sense well first of all i'm proud of our students and graduates and remember compliments are free so oh, yeah why, why don't why is it you know i wish more people bragged on others that it wasn't so weird yeah because we all need a shot in the arm and again i've been surprised at how much that's meant to people because it's just a little facebook like blue rated brag jaylee roberts released a new single today i mean takes 30 it doesn't take long and um and I, I also I just want everybody to know how special MTSU its faculty staff and students are because it really is a special place I mean yeah and, just when you uh, posted about our podcast it like meant a lot to me I was like oh my gosh oh, yeah. like she posted that <laughs> I texted Cassie you're some of our super alums I want people to know you went to MTSU that makes us look good I mean, that's so nice to, I mean but but you got to remember too like we graduated 15 years ago and for you to do that now when none of that was done before, yeah. it's a big change. It's a big change. Well, and a positive change. Because when I was growing up, uh, you know, I was an athlete. I played volleyball, softball, basketball, and uh, the cheerleaders were the ones that got all the attention. They were considered the best looking. And 
the guys always like the cheerleaders and I'd be like, well, but I'm an athlete and I get, you know, well, it turns out I'm a cheerleader after all. That's what I love. You are. I do. I do I, it's just, it brings me joy. That's amazing. It's, and it's such a great lesson. You know, it's such a great lesson for others to know that praising other people doesn't necessarily bring you down or take no, away from your life. My life. It, it brings joy to my life. It doesn't diminish me in any way. And I don't yeah. understand why you don't give credit because it's, it's free. Uh, and you know, I've had people take credit for my work and it is awful. And I don't want to be the kind of person that, that takes credit for others work. I mean, does it, does it hurt for me to say, you know, John had this idea and, and several of us worked on it and here's what it's become. No, it doesn't make me look less smart, but uh, I think women tend to give more credit than men do. I mean, that's yeah, a big well, generalization, but I do. It's interesting because, you know, as you know, like we specialize in digital marketing and when we started in digital marketing, the world was starting in digital. <laughs> like it wasn't an established thing. And we've really had a hard time over the past 15 years proving our worth when it comes to credit. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to give a shout out. I was working on this new Haley Williams album, Cassie and I, that just dropped today secretly uh, or last night. And her manager, Mark Mercado, who is a man, called me and was like, hey, how do you want your name written in the album? And I was like, what? <laughs> like I was, and he thought he was like, well, I mean, you did the work. And I was like, but yeah. you don't understand how rare it is yeah. that somebody actually includes us in like an album credit to say that we did all this work we did. And I think it's just starting to get like the fact that we do digital marketing or marketing or, or social media, you know, management, just starting to get some respect in that sense, but has not for a long time. Well, I also think um, sometimes women are raised not to seek credit. I think I was raised that you let your work speak for itself. You don't mm -hmm. ever seek the credit, but you know what? We need to own our work. We did it. We should get credit. I mean, I feel like when I do my resume, I almost feel like I'm bragging. And it's like, well, it's not bragging if you did it, you know, yeah. but there's that fear in our head. Who does she think she is? And we have to get past that. We have to own I, I who agree. we are and what we've done. But I for agree. a lot of women, it's uncomfortable, you know, because you, you think you're, you're uh, you know, being arrogant or whatever. And listen, men will take all the credit. They don't hesitate. That's that's quite right. So, um, you know, own your ideas and don't let a man cut you off in a meeting. If he jumps in, just say, well, you know, as I was saying, well, you know, don't let him steal your idea. Don't let him interrupt you. You just keep going and uh, and don't doubt yourself and just put yourself out there and just think, you know, I've got this and why not me? Yeah. Why not me? I love that. I love that. So moving forward with the conversation about women and empowerment and credit and all these fun things, I want to talk about the organization Change the Conversation. So this was um, established by you and the legendary Tracy Gershon, who is actually on this season of this, okay. this podcast um, and VP of music strategy at CMT, Leslie Fram. And the goal of this organization was... I don't know what the exact goal is, but you know, we need more women in country music. I mean, that was, it was pretty, it's pretty obvious. We need more on the radio. We need more on, on CMT, not anymore. We don't need more on CMT. We're doing good because Leslie walks the freaking walk. Right. right. Leslie is unbelievable. Yeah. She is even more wonderful than she appears. That's amazing. I just, Tracy, you know, Tracy and I tend to 
might, you know, say an outrageous thing or two or raise our voices or what Leslie's always just perfect. She's never said or, or done anything inappropriate. She is the, she's just, she's the, always the adult in the room. I love that. I love that. I just, you know, with her, I just, it's, it's sad that it is shocking, but it's almost shocking that she has been impeccable with the word that she has put out there. You know, of course, you know, she was a big, um, radio personality, I think in Atlanta and New York. And that's what a bold move to go from radio to TV at that point. Yeah. In life. That was a really brave move. And she moved here and, um, what a career she's had here. Godly. It's Tracy's a, it's also another one who's had a fascinating career and is really entrepreneurial minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and has just launched a company with Brandy Carlisle, a, a publishing company. I hope I'm not talking out of turn there. And, and Tracy is the most connected person I've ever met. She knows everybody. Absolutely I mean, true. God. Yeah. I, she, I think the cool thing about Tracy was she was at Warner when Cassie and I were little, little babies in the music industry. And she just talked to us like we were normal. Yeah. yeah. You know? And she was one of the only people who did that. Like, yeah. He, she was one of the only people who'd be like, oh, yeah. you know something I don't know. I want to learn from you. You well, know? And, so and I thought that. And honest. There's not a phony bone in her body and she will if you ask her what she thinks she tells you she doesn't give you the like corporate double speak she's very honest and and i like to see i don't think i'd ever really seen somebody like her be like confidently say like i don't know the answer to this question or i don't know anything about myspace or digital marketing but i want to learn i just really admired her being comfortable and like confident in her skills and wanting to learn things she didn't yeah. know and not feeling insecure about it. She inspires me in so many ways to her passion. Um, she also has a deep understanding of artists and how they think and tick. She also has a great perception of like the 10,000 foot view that she can tell you, well, if you do this, it's gonna have the image of this or it's gonna be perceived this or, you know, did you think about this unintended consequence or whatever? So she's a good one for, for that. A hundred percent. Yeah. So since you guys have started change the conversation, you know, five, six years ago now, has the conversation changed? Well, the, first of all, the ch- conversation exists. So that's mm. because, um, so it, it started, uh, 2014, you know, people were talking on Music Row, where are the women, where are the women, but nobody's really doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. And they, and some were still saying, oh, there's not a problem. There's not a problem. And so uh, I talked to Leslie. I said, we, we got to do something about this. She was having the same conversations with Tracy. Leslie got the three of us together for coffee. And um, we said, well, why don't, you know what? Let's just see if we can get a group together if they want to talk about it. We didn't even know if anybody would show up. So we sent out an invite and about 40 people showed up at my house in January, 2015. And we were very much like, this is not a place to complain. We want to find solutions. And there was enthusiasm. None of us remember who came up with the name Change the Conversation. And um, it's like every meeting doubled in size. And people were so happy to, to be able to channel those frustrations into action. And we generated a lot of national attention the first year. And... Um, of course, then Keith Hill made the unfortunate conversation comparing women to the tomatoes in a salad. And then that made national news. And uh, we loved that because it proved what we had been saying. 
radio could no longer deny there was a problem because you had a prominent radio consultant in country radio air check, a prominent trade publication saying, we don't play two, I advise don't play two women back to back. You know, you just sprinkle the women in and it's like, okay, quit saying there's not a problem. And after that, then uh, it became accepted that there was a problem. And, uh, you know, we've had our ups and downs, but um, we have a, more women than ever this year. However, they're still not getting that the same amount of airplay as men and they're not getting it the same time of day. So um, I'm we're cautiously optimistic, but we still have a long way to go. 100%. So how can people get involved with Change the Conversation? Um, go to our website or follow us on socials. And uh, we're, right now we're doing Zoom events, of course. And then I would say, uh, you know, buy music by females, listen to music down on, on your digital streaming platforms, listen to female songs. Um, you know, Martina McBride had posted on social media that she wanted to hear some country music on um, Spotify. And it took her 16 or 17 refreshes to hear a female song. So, you know, we have to be part of changing the algorithm. We have, you know, buy merch from female artists, support female artists. You know, we have to 100%. make an effort. Yeah. Totally. And I think that unfortunately, I, several years ago, I kind of stud, was studying um, Spotify's New Boots playlist. And that's that's completely editorial. That's new artists. It's not hits. So it's not based upon what is currently happening. It's based upon new picks. And when I analyzed that list for several months in a row, um, between five and 10% of it was women. And it's, and that's that's a new platform. That's not an old platform. It's a new platform. Right. And, and like, you know, I can see the argument of, not, you know, top country hits not putting more women on there because that's based upon data. But new boots is new artists, new songs without right. really the data yet. And so I... I I actually had a great conversation with Troy Carter about this one because I, I basically kept tabs on it. And then I was like, listen, I just want to flag this with you. Like, I think it's a problem. And he was great. You know, he doesn't work at Spotify anymore, but right. he was, I think, you know, we had a really good conversation about it. And I think he took it really seriously and, and filled me in on a lot of the initiatives Spotify has. But I think the point that I want to try to make is that I think a lot of people assume, oh, with the new generation of people and younger people, it's going to be better. And unless we are, right. we, we can't just sit back. We have to pay attention and call that stuff out as we see it or, or else it's going to be the same thing. It's not just going to change because the world supposedly is getting more progressive. We still have to call out those, uh, you know, those unintentional biases as we see them. We have to break the patterns. Yes. Right. So, and, and they're not just going to break because we're 20 years younger or whatever. If you're hearing bro country on radio, yeah, female voice is going to sound different to you. But, you know, if you look at if you look over the last two decades, most of the biggest stars, the superstars in the format were females. Taylor Swift, Shania Twain, Faith Hill, Reba. Change the conversation. We had an event where uh, people from CAA presented research that the uh, the corporations, the companies wanted female artists because that's who the audience relates to. You look at the top ten um, artists with the highest Q factor; most are females, and that's who the audience mostly is as well. I, I know, right? I you know. know. Okay, so I want to move on to the National Music Equality, which is a foundation, I guess you would call it, or a group, organization uh, that was founded last year. 
Yeah, and it, it's happened like change the conversation. So we, we was like, well, we got to do something. So we hosted it. It was Courtney Tony's idea. Courtney Tony called uh, Cameo Carlson and me and said, do you know of anything going on in the music industry in Nashville for Blackout Tuesday? And I was like, well, no, we should do something. So I quickly called Tracy and Leslie. We were on board. This was like a Thursday or Friday, I guess Friday. We worked through the weekend. We put a panel together and about a, a thousand people tuned in. Um, prominent, you know, C a chairman of companies, India Ari watched, and it had such an impact. We all went, wow, we, we got something here. We got to keep going. And from that became National Music Equality and uh, Courtney Tony's executive director, Shannon Sanders is the chair chairman. And uh, we have an event coming up on Tuesday and um, we're trying to make a difference by creating an anti-racist environment in the national music industry. So I think we've got to talk about what happened this week in country music right. with Morgan Wallen. Do you think that although he has been punished by the music industry, it's going to have much, if any, effect on country music listeners? Um, uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's a good question. I think it's a, it was a day of reckoning for country music. I think it won't be business as usual anymore in country music. I don't mm -hmm. remember something happening so quickly where, where every segment took a stand from the label booking agent, radio, CMT. You know, the closest thing you could compare it to were the Dixie Chicks, which by the way, they were right, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, it was a little discouraging to see that Morgan Wallen was like the had the highest charting positions on iTunes today. Uh, yeah. So it's like, so what are you supporting? Are you supporting the racist comment? Um, I mean, I don't. I certainly don't want his entire life to be ruined. I want this to be a time of education that everybody can learn from. Right. So yeah. let's learn why it's never okay for a white person to say this word. All right. Let's learn about the centuries of history behind this word. It was used, uh, you know, to murder and, and discriminate against people. So let's use it to make us know better because when we know better, we do better. So I don't know. Um, you know, some people say, oh, this is a cancel culture gone too far. I'm not sure that the radio stations and, and labels really had any other choice because it was right there on video. So it could mm -hmm. not be denied. It wasn't like, um, you know, somebody compared it to when the Michael Jackson documentary came out and some radio stations dropped him. Well, first of all, that was 20 years past, 40 years past his peak. I don't, I don't know my math on that, but you know, he wasn't ever convicted of anything. It would be different if we had seen a videotape of him doing something illegal, but this was, you know, it was clear cut and you just had to go, I, you know, if I play his record, I am supporting that behavior. And he really crossed the line there. So, you know, I think he is, you know, I think he's going to do the work to learn about what's going on, you know, what well, was such a bad move. Yeah. I mean, to me, like I spent a lot of time that day reading comments because yeah. I, you know, here's the thing. I know what all my colleagues think. We're, we're all right. on the same boat. We're educated. Like we want these things to stop. I wanted to know what the general country music listener thought about this. And although not shocking, there was so much support for 
him either just saying that, like literally support for him saying that, or support of him in general, because it was one mistake, cancel culture. But I saw a very sickening amount of just people who would also say that waving flags for him. Um, And it was, it was just super sad because it was like, you know, I'm glad everything that, that happened happened. And I do hope this changes his life for the positive in the end of all this, you know, and it's definitely made a statement. Um, And obviously, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, the entertainment industry can feed a culture and putting a stop to some things is, you know, is the first step. But I just, you know, I wonder how, you know, I wonder what the steps are to get to those people that are on these platforms saying, yeah, man, I agree with you. Well, that's what's scary to me. I did a couple of interviews about the situation and I heard from several people who said, well, why is it okay for rap artists to use that word and not for white people? And I said, I said, surely you understand the difference between a white person using that word when white people have used that word for centuries uh, as a form of, you know, violence and hatred and discrimination versus African-Americans using the word in ownership owning the word that was used to discriminate against them. And I said, it's like how women now own the word bitch. I was about to say the same thing. Like as a man, you better not call me a bitch or you're going to be in big trouble. But if I want to go look bitch, you know, (laughs) so it's the same, you know, but uh, I had a conversation yesterday and, and one of the things I said, you know, everybody is so nervous about this topic, you know, as a white person, I don't want to say anything that's offensive I don't want to say anything wrong. And somebody said, right now, people are leading by fear. And that is not a good leadership style. So we've got to have some honest conversations. And white people just need to shut up and listen and learn and quit being so defensive. We just need to listen and learn. We can't tell black people how they should feel or why they should feel something. We just need to learn how they feel. I totally agree. I remember um, we were working uh, with Darius Rucker when he first went into country music and we were really excited because we're a big Hootie fans. <laughs> um, but we, you know, you registered as MySpace page and all this fun stuff. And uh, I was actually at, it was CMA Fest, whatever year that was, probably 2006 or seven. And uh, I just had a regular ticket sitting in the audience and he came out and I heard that word a lot around me. And it was to me a little bit of a shock because, you know, I was living in Nashville. I was going to MTSU. I was a city person that lived in the city and hung around people that didn't talk like that. And hearing it so close to me shocked me. Shocking. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I got sick to my stomach when I watched the Morgan Wallen. I couldn't watch it. I haven't watched it. um, You know, we have lived in in a protected environment, the people around us didn't act think or think like that. But that doesn't mean that the, the rest of the people don't act that way. And yeah. if you would have an honest conversation with your friends of color, they would tell you that they face discrimination every time they leave the house. With the subject, this subject, and you know, it being a subject that I've had so many conversations about over the past year, the thing that stuck with me most was um, we asked Candace Watkins to come um, Candace a big loud to come and speak at our company about, you know, about this, because we, we also were like, what can we do? And so our thought was, well, maybe we can have people come speak because Cassie and I surely can't speak. 
Right. We don't know what we're talking about. So we asked some people to come speak. So we had several speakers and she was one of them. And I know she was uh, actually kind of reluctant to do so, I'll say, um, but she did it and I was so proud of her. But what stuck with me, um, and I've, I've thought about this a million times since, is that she said, you know, when I'm going to, and this is something we do all the time, we drive out in the country, go to a farm, shoot a country music video. No big deal, done it so many times that if she leaves the confines of Nashville and goes in like the country area, she has to bring someone with her because she feels so threatened. Yeah. And that for some reason was like the number one thing that made me, I don't just think differently. Like it, it, to me, it was like a moment of of seeing something through her eyes and like under, it was a moment of understanding for me. This has been a big year of understanding for me. And I'm an, I am embarrassed that I didn't know it. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. we've had conversations with, with people in the music industry, conversations with professors, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't know how bad racism was in 2020 and 2021. So now I want to listen and learn and, and know more and do better. 100%. We, I mean, we're in the same boat. And I think I love how you just say white people shut up and listen, because <laughs> I think that is definitely the action that uh, we've taken most. And we've mainly kind of tried to put people in place, you know, for ourselves and our staff to listen to um, and get that information and, and find those resources. So, well, and how taxing it is for the few people of color in the country music industry to have to talk about it again and again and again. Yeah. You know, it's like, ugh. you know, but if they don't, then the, their stories aren't told. But it's, it's so it's a, it is, a, you know, it's it's tough right now. It's tough. I mean, I'm sure you saw Mickey's post today where she posted, um, she's gotten a lot of, you know, negative know. comments from her, her performance on, I believe it was Colbert or, you know, a late show this week. And I don't even understand why, to be completely honest, because it's that unnecessary and just evil, to be honest. I don't um, know how people don't know that that's not okay. Like, even if you yeah. felt like that, how don't you know you don't say that out loud? First of all, you shouldn't think that way, but you certainly shouldn't say it out loud. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, look, I grew up near the country and to me, like when you saying that, I know exactly how they do it because their parents did it and their grandparents did it. And your question is always like, how do you, how do you get deep like that? Cause those are the people that are making those comments on Facebook. I mean, yeah, you're going to have some people that are just completely ignorant living in, you know, in a city and, and just deciding to do that. But like, it's, I think the thing that makes me like so worried is, you know, why, why does she feel more scared in the country than in Nashville? You know, well, it's, know why. you know, we know why. Oh, we know why, yeah. but, but I'm saying like, how, how do you fix that long-term? Yeah. That, that, yeah. that feels so daunting, you know, but steps are being taken. <laughs> Things are moving. Yeah. Hopefully one day they'll really, really be changing. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard subject, but um, it's honestly an honor to get to talk about it and get to get to work towards a better society with, with yes. each other. Well, we have to, there's no other, there is no other option. There's no other option. I, I can, if we don't make it better, we're complicit. hundred percent. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on our little podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.